Preferred Capital Funding presents the Result Podcast, a podcast where trial lawyers share a recent verdict or settlement and discuss how they achieved the result. And now a few words from Jason Abraham of Hupie and Abraham about how Preferred Capital has helped him and his clients. Hi, Jason Abraham here from Hupie and Abraham. I've had the pleasure of representing over 70,000 people in our career in automobile accidents, motorcycle accidents and the like. And I have found preferred capital funding to be so beneficial to our clients when they have a loan issue, especially here in Wisconsin with the change in the law that would allow these loans to be discoverable and individual actions and insurance companies and their lawyers even trying to bring in the loan company as a party to the lawsuit. With the loans by preferred capital funding, we do not have to list them in discovery. There are no issues that they're going to be brought into the cases. Their staff is easy to deal with. And so I would highly recommend preferred capital funding to your clients if they need a loan. Today, the result is happy to welcome Jay Urban of Urban & Taylor located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Urban & Taylor is 100% plaintiff-oriented and has received one of the largest non-punitive, non-economic, injury-only awards in Wisconsin state history. Jay has served as a co-lead counsel on the DuPont and Prelice multi-district litigation and has also been named a best lawyer in America for the last decade. Jay currently serves as the president of the Wisconsin Association for Justice and remains very active in the Wisconsin legal community. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mr. Porter. Thank you for having me. So, Jay, as we do with every episode, we will start at the end. What was the monetary result of the case we'll be discussing today? I thought we would talk about a piece of trucking litigation that uh, you and I have talked about before, and I did it with a mutual friend of ours. In fact, that's how we became friends, working on the case. And it involved a uh, gross overall verdict and recovery of $13.3 million in Milwaukee County. Go ahead and walk us through the details of the case. Uh, sure. You know, it's, it's sort of interesting. We get these cases and, and they, how they come in. And, and this one came in as traumatic as any other. Uh, our client had been crushed behind a semi. He was a loading dock repairman and the uh, and a semi had crushed him there uh, while he was doing his work and when I say crushed him I mean within an inch of his life actually over his life because he bled out completely at the scene and was transported some hundred miles flight for life to our level one trauma center in Milwaukee from that uh, region so when we met him he was in the hospital uh, he was not conscious or anything like that. We met him through his, his family, most notably his wife, just a horrific accident. His, his pelvis had to be completely reconstructed, uh, among other internal injuries, um, all sorts of issues with sexual function. At, at the time, he was, he was a gentleman in his, uh, in his late 40s and a, and a father and a husband. So that was the, uh, the initial part of the case was it came, it, it came in also while I was at the AAJ conference and I had just met my co-counsel, Rick Schulte. And so he and I immediately flew from New Orleans back to Milwaukee. Uh, Rick's from Ohio, of course, as you know, and, and that's how we met the family to get started. So there needed to be an immediate investigation and all sorts of you know, work up on the case because the injuries were so catastrophic and with multiple parties. This happened, like I said, at the loading dock. So of course the issue was gonna be, is there anything done with the loading type of situation? Uh, definitely a contributory negligence situation. And then most compelling, and ultimately what the theory was going to trial, 
was the case against the uh, the trucking entity that was a corporation out of Texas. So you have a corporation out of Texas. You got a guy whose family you've met with that is lying uh, near death in a hospital bed. Once you go there and you sign that case up, what was your immediate approach to start your workup on this? Uh, Ordin, sometimes ordin, sometimes we will start a lawsuit first rather than do some investigation. Uh, but I don't like to do that in a multi-party case where there can be lots of blame. And and we in in Wisconsin we're allowed to sue insurance companies directly, which becomes important in a little bit of the case that I'll tell you about. But um, but we decided instead to try to see if we couldn't reach out cooperatively and get as much access as we could uh, to two things. And so we found that the the premises lawyers were actually pretty forthcoming and favorable. And we were able to get that access so we could do an investigation. And then we also learned something very important about the defense lawyers because they invited us to do an inspection in Mesquite, Texas, which I only heard about through barbecue. But when we were there, it was about 120 degrees. And now I know why it's named that. And, <laughs> and, and, when, they, and when they did produce the tractor trailer for us to uh, inspect, like they said they would, trying to pretend that they were cooperative, the Texas lawyers had that truck and trailer completely backed up against a wall. So the inspection was futile. And uh, so that's pretty, that pretty much set the stage for the next phase of the case, which, which was uh, litigation and discovery over the course of the next you know, several years as our client uh, you know, healed and had many, many surgeries and a long recovery anyway, uh, we embarked on a, on a pretty robust uh, course of discovery. Tell us more about the discovery in that, because I'm I'm really interested in this now. Well, like like I said, I, I always believe that there's different ways that you can defend a case, and and so what we learned, uh, we of course worked with our we had experts on the case and things like that, putting together a theory of the case, which is you never are supposed to back up without looking, and we were able to do plenty of research on that. You know, there's a lot of in in the trucking industry. We I, I had handled many trucking cases before you know, some just as catastrophic. And there's always what's called goal, G-O-A-L, get out and look. Uh, you never, never, never are supposed to back a truck without looking, except in this particular case, our client wasn't supposed to be there. So he had put himself in a space that was about 24 inches between a parked tractor trailer uh, outside of a loading dock because he was there to prepare the neighboring loading dock, which has a cleat that attaches to the trailer. And what he saw next to him was this perfect opportunity to see why these cleats, it was a newer product. And it was uh, an opportunity for him to try to inspect while that, why that cleat you know, wasn't working. So he did a walk around of the truck, did not realize that the, that the uh, driver was actually up in the cab of the truck taking a nap. And, uh, and this was just a, a, a tragic coincidence of circumstance where he's walking on one end of the truck. And while that's happening, while he's by the cab, the drive, and then he leaves, the driver actually comes down into the driver box because he got yelled at by the dock worker. And so it's just like, it literally had to line up within minutes and seconds. So that was the timeline. The discovery though, what was interesting about that is the first set of lawyers on the case, uh, you know, essentially lied in discovery about all sorts of things between policy, two things that became very, very important. One was the insurance structure of the trucking company. And then the second thing was whether they had policies and procedures or not. So I'm a big fan of taking video depositions and I had locked in the trucking company on all sorts of lies about their policies and procedures, get out and look and things like that. 
And long story short, what, what, what ended up turning out once we, once we got subsequent counsel and they were sanctioned, we realized that they did have the same policies and procedures about get out and look. So not only were we able to make that the theme of our case, but also the cover-up of the get out and look. Uh, the other thing is though, even though I am very much smarting from the Packers loss yesterday in the NFC Championship at Lambeau Field, the, uh, the trial was going to be in Milwaukee and this accident, this crash, this crush had happened in, um, in, in, in sub-freezing temperatures. And this was a Dallas-based uh, trucking company and, um, and, and the length of the, the tractor trailer is something that if you extended it from the courthouse door to the judge, that was the exact length of the trucking cab until the rear of the truck. And so when we tried the case, I would actually walk that space in the entire courtroom uh, to emphasize just how simple it would have been for him to get out and look and walk around and do an inspection of the, of the, of the truck. So, mm -hmm. so once we, so we kind of had the, the, those policies and procedures, the other thing that we had learned is that the trucking company was going what we call naked in, in a certain respect with its insurance. In other words, it left a gap in the middle of the coverage. So it was it had a policy on the first million dollars and then and then it had a and then it had a, a policy of three million dollars worth of coverage. And then there was an almost five million dollar gap that they were self-insured in between and then an excess policy beyond that. So once they once we were able to get them sanctioned for not disclosing that, uh, they they then got multiple lawyers for those levels of coverage. But what became apparent to us going to trial is the case was unsettleable because there was too many different parties and the company was in a bet the company sort of position. That was going to be my next question. So skipping that, tell us a little bit about the trial because you have you have the defense coming out and you have their attorneys getting initially sanctioned, everything else. You kind of have this air of dishonesty when you started the whole process. Now, counsel has changed. We're going into trial. Tell us how the trial kicked off. Well, that was the interesting thing is that we didn't know who their trial counsel was going to be until they actually showed up in the courtroom. We got a pro hoc vice motion on the morning of trial, and it was the same law firm, not, not the ones that had been lying about discovery. They were off the case. A different law firm had come in, but it wasn't their lead trial counsel. And he was a born and raised Texan. And the, there was only one piece of art in the judge's courtroom. And that happened to be a, a, a overhead photo of the ice bowl, which was Packers versus the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. So immediately we not only incorporated that, not, we, I never used those terms, but I knew that I was going to be having a Milwaukee trial uh, on, on, in, in the tundra, also on the anniversary of the trial. So in February, we tried the case in, in the very cold of, of February against a very overconfident um, Dallas law firm and trucking entity. The other thing about Wisconsin is that you, um, you do get to, if, you, if an insurance company wants to, it can have separate counsel for all of its entities. And so all the insurance companies had lawyers that weren't allowed to participate in the trial because they deferred to this Texas lawyer, but they all had to introduce themselves every time the jury would come in and out of the room. And they had to introduce themselves as representing an insurance company. So we kind of used that to our, I, I think, a little bit to our advantage, a little bit of, about the fact that here you've got this uh, corporate bad actor emphasizing that, you know, that they were also a bad actor in litigation. And then, of course, you got the jury there confronted with this uh, man that they presumably, you know, need to address what's the right thing here. What was the right, what's the right compensation? Who's at fault? All those sort of things. So it was, so it was a trial involving every single issue because, because you know, negligence and fault was on the table. 
you know, all sorts of, of, of economic and non-economic damages, uh, and actually a pretty significant loss of consortium case because of the, you know, loss of intimacy and things like that in a, in a, in a very loving, uh, wonderful marriage. So once the defense counsel settled in, I, I get where your guys' approach was. I understand uh, what your theme was going to the jury trial, but what, once their counsel settled in, what was their rebuttal? What was their approach to coming back at you? Um, well, one thing that, that we did do, and um, I kind of anticipated this, that they might also not know our rules of procedure very well. And there was, there was also the, there was two elements of the premises that could have been blamed for the trial. And there's a mechanism here called a Perringer release where you can settle out with co-defendants. So we had settled out for over a million uh, aggregate between the, the owners of the, of the site. So under a safe place sort of theory, this was at a bird's eye foods, the frozen foods folks. And, mm -hmm. um, and we had also settled out with um, Myron Construction, who are the people that originally uh, constructed this, this loading dock. Our, our client, of course, worked for the loading dock um, manufacturer. And so if there would have been a loading dock case, or if they were blaming him, we had to absorb all that negligence together. And we also had to recover the full amount of the workers' comp lien, which was approximately a million dollars. So that dynamic happened at the start of the case where they had very little time to react. And they had, and, but, but that, so that was their trial strategy. Their trial strategy was, was going to be to dump on other defendants and we had gotten rid of those defendants and they had not issued appropriate subpoena. So there became all sorts of, struggles during trial, whether they were going to be able to get people to come to trial, whether they weren't going to be able to get people to come to trial. And even though this lawyer was very, very sophisticated, I guess you could say, or a very talented lawyer, he hadn't worked up the whole case like we had. So we had taken, you know, dozens of depositions, including, most importantly, the woman at the loading dock who had opened the door. And so they stepped into other lies at trial. So for example, just, I'll just give you this, any, anybody who does trial work, knows how, how significant something like this can be. The truck driver, in an attempt to humanize the truck driver, who wasn't a bad guy, we took his deposition, he was actually pretty good, but they must have thought the trial was going pretty poorly because he told the story about how he actually held our client's hand and sort of, you know, not, not necessarily nursed him, but was there with a great amount of sympathy and empathy. He even started, try, he even started crying on the stand. Uh, a little bit about this, about how he was the one to call 911 and all that kind of stuff. Well, that, of course, was not true. That, 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 was, the, that was the loading dock woman. And so I had already posed her. I had, I had her on video. I knew what she said. And that lawyer hadn't prepared. So they stepped right into it. So the next witness that we called right after him was her to talk about how she was the one holding him. And you could just watch the jury go back and forth looking at the, uh, at the truck driver and at defense counsel. How long was the jury out? So we, the trial, it lasted in, in total uh, almost two weeks. Of that, the jury was out for a good solid day of deliberation because there were so many factors, you know, contributory negligence. We did get a, a percentage of contributory negligence on the case of 20% uh, on our client. But the, case, but the people that we settled out with in advance did not garner any of the negligence. So the, the, full, the full amount of the verdict was 80% on the trucking company, which was FFE and its related entities. Jay, for the other attorneys that listen to our program, what is the one tangible takeaway from this that you think could help someone else as they approach uh, a similar case or, or any case for that matter? 
You know, I, I listen, I listen to these for the same reasons too, because I'm always gleaning, uh, you know, some things that I can learn every single time. But, but ultimately the only thing that, that we ever learn about every case is you just got to be uh, two, two things. You got to be, in my opinion, paranoid as hell that you're being lied to about every single thing. And then you've got to be thorough as hell. And so when we, you know, use, because we didn't trust anything we were getting and we were uh, thorough as thorough could be, uh, you know, talking to everybody, every angle we deposed, you know, we took depositions of his coworkers and all these things. And the other reason that it paid off for us to be very thorough is that we, when, when they decided that they weren't going to put on much of a case other than blaming our client and then having their experts testify, um, we had their people by video. And Wisconsin has a unique rule that we're allowed to, t to play discovery depositions if they're of party witnesses at trial. And so we also edited and cut, it, cut and pasted all those folks. So people that we could have never compelled to come into a Milwaukee courtroom from Dallas, when, when we were able to selectively edit their depositions, that was pretty powerful. And that, and that, and that was just from, you know, like I said, being a, a typical paranoid and, and, and thorough, very thorough uh, trial lawyer. And then, and then the other part on the damage, you can never forget about the damages. So I've talked a lot about the, you know, the more interesting parts, you know, as lawyers talk about the cases, but we had really, really spent a lot of time with our clients and just working up just how compelling their story was and how he was just a fighter. And he was, uh, you, know, we, you know, he was just going to fight no matter what and how important it was. He was doing the right thing and he was, he was trying to do his job and the value of work and the value of safety and how he did all the, all the safe things and how they were taking uh, shortcuts. But, but thoroughness can't be underestimated. I'll give you another just quick point on the case. So the defense had hired an expert that we knew had worked both sides of the fence. Uh, our trucking expert was a little more pristine who had mostly done plaintiff work. So there was just something about the defense expert that we didn't entirely trust. So we, what I did is a, a something that I learned uh, sort of on my own is that expert was in Colorado and he would typically only, only agree to testify. He wouldn't travel to testify. In other words, he was always testifying. So I figured the local court reporters must have transcripts on him. So I called, mm -hmm. all, I called all the local court reporters and I had them do word searches for backing. And I obtained three prior transcripts where that expert had testified completely in support of our case, where he took the opposite position in this case. And so we impeached him with those transcripts from other testimony. Uh, there are other experts we did the same thing on and were able to get that expert struck. And so while that was happening in real time at trial, I think it very much undermined the credibility of the defense. Uh, that's fantastic. Jay, is there anything else in or about this case that we missed here that we should discuss before signing off? Uh, I think on the thoroughness thing, I would just say that the time that you spend with your experts. So, I mean, and not just your, your, uh, your, your um, liability experts, because when you have a liability case like this, obviously most of the heavy lifting and the work is that. I mean, these injuries were so catastrophic, you think they would right themselves. But that, that's not really true in Milwaukee. This is pretty conser conservative town. Um, and, and, and money like that just is not given away. You really have to prove the, uh, the, the level of harm. And so we really worked hard with our, you know, our, our client was very well liked by his surgeons and so forth. And the other thing that we did, what I did is I told each expert that I was going to ask them uh, outside of our client being in the courtroom. So I had our client leave during each point of this testimony. And maybe that sounds a little canned, 
but um, you know, I grew up with a modest family and we weren't lawyers and things like that. And there's certain things you don't want to say to people's faces. So I would ask the doctors, I would ask my, my clients would just leave. And then I would say, is there anything about this case that you just haven't had the heart or you just haven't had the strength? I know doctors are honest to their patients and so forth, but maybe you just did not want to ever share with them or ever tell. And I let the, and I let the doctors know I was going to ask that question, but I never asked them to give me the answer. And so I asked that question live in the courtroom. And, and one of the doctors welling up with his own tears said, I haven't had the heart to tell them that he, him that he's aging in dog years. And you could have heard a pin drop in that courtroom. I mean, you could, two of the jurors started crying and it wasn't sensational. It was very real. And it was all done with preparation and just how profound that had to be that they had to, you know, this, because this is the other thing I was going to say, you think somebody like this would be in a wheelchair. He wasn't, he was able to, he, he rehabbed so hard. He was in such fitness that he was actually able to walk. So he was, he was a walking, talking. If you, if you would meet him on the street, Jason, you would have no idea that his injuries were, were within an inch of his life. Uh, wow. but, that wasn't the, but that wasn't the case, you know, as he gets all arthritic and creaky and all those kinds of things. And, and we all know that we can't come back. Uh, th- Absolutely. So. Well, Jay, uh, congratulations to you, your co-counsel, and your client on an unbelievably positive result. Really appreciate you taking the time today to talk with us. You bet. Have a great one. 